Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Hello? Helen? Yeah. It's Jenna. What are you doing? Just hanging. Hanging? a little bit of reading. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, getting ready for the rest of the day, which isn't any big deal. But how about you? Same as you. Just wondering how things are going for you down there in Florida. Well, I miss you. That's one thing that's not going for me. <laughs> I miss you, <laughs> what too. What can I say? Yep, that's my mom. Back by popular demand. You met her in the first episode of this podcast, and a lot has happened in her life since then. Mom is 86 years old. She's a widow, and she moved to Florida from Washington, D.C. back in April. I never told you why she made the move, but I'm going to now, because what happened with my mother is a prime example of how, when it comes to caring for an elderly parent, you really have no idea what's coming down the pike. Even when you take steps to try and stay ahead of the curve, there are times when you're so thrown off, you just have to say, huh, I didn't see that one coming. At the same time, in that moment, when you're faced with a tough situation, you can choose how to respond. You can crawl into a corner and feel miserable, or you can attempt to bounce back. And according to Barbara Fredrickson, professor of psychology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, there is evidence to support the idea that positive emotions can help you get there faster and actually help you bounce back from those negative emotions. Professor Fredrickson believes that if you can generate within yourself a positive emotion or perspective, that in itself enables you to recover. Kind of cool, huh? But I'm getting off track. Let me tell you what happened with mom, starting with why she moved to Florida in the first place. She'd been living in a retirement home in Georgetown for a little more than a year. Technically, it was an assisted living facility, but the place looked more like an old hotel, which was part of its charm. And mom enjoyed her life there. She had some independence because she was living in her own one-bedroom apartment, but she also had a lot of support. A team of nursing aides was constantly circulating around the building. They would come to my mom's apartment in the morning and give her her medications, and later in the day, they'd knock on her door and remind her to go downstairs for dinner. Afterwards, Mom often hung out in the activity room for a while and watched TV with some of the other residents, or she attended a lecture. It was a predictable routine. And when it comes to older folks, especially those who have some cognitive impairment, like my mother, predictability is a good thing. So Mom liked her routine, and she liked the friendly atmosphere of the assisted living facility. Well, unfortunately, there were problems lurking behind the scenes. Months of turnover in staffing at the management level had taken a toll on the core staff and made it difficult for them to do their jobs. Good people started leaving. And then one day, 
completely out of the blue, each of the residents received an envelope slipped under their doors. Inside each envelope was a letter advising the residents that they had 90 days to vacate the premises. We definitely didn't see that one coming. It turned out that the owners of the facility were closing the place for a year for renovations. So, in one fell swoop, what we thought of as a stable and safe environment for Mom was now a place she had to clear out of within 90 days. I talked about this recently with my mother, and here's what she remembers about getting that letter. I was in a in a panic sort of because I was settled and I knew I had to make a decision about where I was going to be next,、mm-hmm. and I wasn't really prepared to do that. But I put on my best、uh, effort and just sort of thought thought it through. And I asked you if you wanted to stay in D.C. and if you wanted to live in another assisted living facility in D.C. Uh huh. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And do you remember what you said? I said I wasn't sure. I was in a bit of a fog then. Don't forget that. Do you Do you remember when Zoe suggested that you move down there? I did, and I sort of picked up on that because she she knew that I liked Florida. Mm-hmm. And I would have at least one child there,、mm-hmm. maybe two if I was lucky. And I was sort of going with that. It's amazing to me that despite her fog, my mother, who was then eighty-five years old, was able to see the situation for what it was, get past her panic, and embrace the idea of moving to Florida after spending sixty years in D.C. Now that's what I call bouncing back. It helped that Mom had the support of her three daughters. Who wanted to make sure that leaving D.C. was her choice, not ours, and it was her choice. After a handful of family conference calls and emails back and forth, Mom agreed to move into the independent living wing of a tall Spanish-style retirement home in West Palm Beach, Florida. My sister Zoe met with the team who would be coordinating Mom's arrival there, while I orchestrated the logistics of her actual move. Finding a moving company, scheduling a pickup date, and having the entire contents of Mom's apartment transported from D.C. to Florida. And since I would be flying down there with my mother, I booked a one-way ticket for her and a round-trip ticket for me. What happened next is where the real story begins. Mom and I flew down to Florida on her 86th birthday, and I have to say this was emotional for me. Because I'd moved to D.C. from L.A. largely for my mother after my father died five years ago, and since then the two of us had been through a lot together and spent a lot of time with each other. My mom was my pal, and now I had to let her go. I don't have kids, so I'm guessing this is what it's like when parents take their kids to college for freshman year and have to come home to an empty nest. And I can tell you, I wasn't looking forward to coming back to D.C. and facing my own empty nest. Anyhow, by the time my mother and I landed in West Palm Beach, the moving company had delivered her possessions to the new apartment, and my sister had seen to it that everything was arranged in almost exactly the same way as it had been at her apartment in Georgetown, which is really important, by the way, if you plan to move a parent or parents. Make sure they take things with them that remind them of their past, familiar objects that have memories attached to them, so that when they arrive in their new environment, they don't feel like they've just landed on Mars. On the night of our arrival in West Palm Beach, a bunch of us went out with Mom to celebrate her 86th birthday and her new beginnings in Florida. 
That night, Mom was in a great mood. She loved her new apartment. It was fresh and modern, and she was happy to be with two of her three daughters and a couple of nice-looking male friends, which is more or less a recipe for success with Mom in any city on any day of the week. After dinner, we went back to Mom's apartment, and I kissed her goodnight. I told her I'd be back at 10 a.m. the next morning to finish setting things up and just sort of hang out. My mother said she looked forward to it. She crawled into bed and knocked off. The next morning, I tiptoed into her apartment at exactly 10 a.m., went into my mother's bedroom, and found her face down on the carpet with her left hand pinned under her chest. I was terrified. I'd never seen my mother like this. Was she breathing? Was she even alive? Oh my God, Mom, are you okay? I said, what happened? And here's the crazy thing. In response to my question, my mother said, the carpet looks so inviting, I just thought I would try it out, which totally confused me. I just stood there thinking, what? But at least my mother was alive. I realized she must have been laying there for several hours. When we talked about this recently, my mother recalled how she'd wound up on the floor that night. And as I listened to her, I was reminded of how incredibly resilient she is. I misjudged the distance between her body and the, and the uh, couch and, I fell, and the bed, and I fell. I, okay, yeah, that was really oh. rough. That was really rough because it was hard for me to see you on the floor, and then you had sure. a hard time getting up. Yeah, well, it was hard for me to be there. But I got to be comfortable. I just stayed there. Mm-hmm. I made the most of it, you know. That's what you always do, Mom. You're, you know you're amazing like that. You always make the most of it, whatever's going on. I believe in the affirmative. The fact is, people who are resilient are good at turning negative feelings into positive ones. They're good at bouncing back, basically because they're hard nuts to crack. In other words, they have a lot of complex emotions. I always knew my mother was emotionally complex. I learned that about her when we lived together after my father died. But I've only recently come to appreciate the depths of her resilience. What happened after my mother fell on that first night in her new apartment in her brand new city is what happens to a lot of older adults who fall. She had to have surgery to repair what turned out to be a fractured left hip. Fortunately for us, the orthopedic surgeon on call that weekend happened to be one of the best in Palm Beach County. He told us the surgery wasn't complicated. It would only take about 25 minutes. The tricky part was the anesthesia. He likened the process of putting her under anesthesia and having her come out of it to the most dangerous parts of a flight, the takeoff and the landing. But he assured us that mom was generally in good health, which put her at a huge advantage. Before she was wheeled into surgery, I gave my mother a kiss and what must have been the most loving look of my life and told myself she would come through this with flying colors, which she did. Still, when I saw my mother after the surgery, all dazed and confused in her chalk-colored gown, I never felt more protective of her. I mustered all the positive thoughts I had and told myself she'll be fine. She made it through the surgery. Little did I know how challenging the aftermath would be. After the surgery, while she was recovering in her hospital bedroom, Mom kept trying to get up to go to the bathroom. But with three screws in her left hip... No way were the nurses going to let her get out of bed. I spent every day in the hospital with her, and I was glad to be there because the nurses couldn't always be in the room, and my mother was so disoriented because of the medications and the anesthesia. She didn't know her limitations. 
She was uncomfortable and restless, as if she were at war with her own body. I felt awful for her. Three days after her surgery, Mom was discharged from the hospital and sent directly to a rehab facility located in the same building as her new apartment. And here's another thing to keep in mind. If your loved one ends up in the hospital, make sure he or she stays there for 72 hours, because that's how long they need to be in the hospital for Medicare to cover the cost of any rehab once they get out. So, 72 hours, folks. Keep that in mind. For the first few days Mom was in rehab, I noticed she occasionally said things that had nothing to do with anything, almost as if she were hallucinating. I figured it was because of the various medications she was on and the after-effects of the anesthesia, which was still swimming around in her bloodstream. After giving it some thought, I decided to stay an extra week in Florida to monitor my mother and to give her some hands-on support. I was glad I stayed, and I left with the feeling that although Mom had a tough road ahead of her, she was better acclimated to her private room in rehab when I left her than she was when she first arrived there after her surgery. But when I returned to D.C. and my mother wasn't there, that dreaded empty nest syndrome set in. Even though we hadn't been living together, I felt like my mother was now totally gone from my life, as in ripped from my insides. I'm not kidding. Sure, I can still see her. But now, instead of hopping in my car and driving into Georgetown, I have to get on a plane. Within a few days of returning to D.C., I awoke from a dead sleep at 2.30 in the morning to the sound of my phone ringing. It was one of the nurses on the rehab floor in Florida. Apparently, Mom had gotten up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and once again fallen to the floor. Only this time, it wasn't a carpet. It was hard linoleum. The nurse thought Mom should go to the emergency room right away and get an x-ray. But I said, wait, hang on. Did she hit her head? Because at the time, I was thinking, if Mom has to go to the emergency room, she can't go without Zoe, who lives in Florida, and it's 2.30 in the morning, and I'm sure, unlike me, Zoe's asleep. And by the way, why didn't they call her instead of me? I'm in Virginia. But anyway, if she goes to the emergency room, I've got to wake up Zoe, because she's not going to go alone. But maybe I don't have to wake up Zoe. Let's get some facts here. And I can't stress enough how important it is to ask questions when it comes to the well-being of an elderly parent, or any of your loved ones, for that matter, because you can't make informed decisions when you don't have all the facts. And sometimes people aren't telling you things. You've got to ask a lot of questions. So I started asking questions, and I had the nurse put mom on the phone, and she sounded totally with it, just mad at herself. It turned out that mom had not hit her head in the fall, which was a good thing. She was sore, but I knew she could make it through the night. It wasn't a life-threatening situation. I told the nurse that my sister Zoe would call her first thing in the morning. I hung up. I set my alarm to go off four hours later, and I went back to bed, as did my mother. The next morning, I called Zoe at 7 a.m. and told her what had happened. Of course, she freaked out, but she was also glad I hadn't woken her up at 2.30 in the morning because she had a full day of work ahead of her. That same morning, Zoe took Mom to the hospital for an x-ray, and we learned that during her fall the previous night, Mom had torn her right rotator cuff. Back to the hospital she went for outpatient surgery this time. The doctor put two screws in her right shoulder and sent mom back to rehab 
for more physical and occupational therapy. About a week after that, my mother complained about the searing pain in her left shoulder. Now, my mother isn't a complainer, so this was a cause for concern. We decided it was time for another x-ray. And this one showed that mom's left rotator cuff was torn, and it probably happened during her first fall, that first night in her new apartment. But who knows? The bottom line was, mom needed another outpatient surgery. So, back to the hospital she went, for her third surgery in the space of six weeks. My mother wound up being in rehab for 100 days, which was the maximum number of days Medicare would pay for the cost of her private room. She told me afterwards that she was in rehab for so long, she felt like she was born there, which makes total sense to me, because her transition from D.C. to Florida was meant to be a rebirth of sorts. But I don't think being reborn in rehab is what my mother had in mind. In any case, my mother had only spent three nights in her new apartment before she was whisked into the hospital, and then she went straight into rehab, where she settled in and didn't emerge until more than three months later. What does my mother remember about that time in her life? Not much, it turns out, and that's just fine by her. Between her short-term memory loss and her ability to maintain a generally positive outlook on life, it seems likely my mother simply doesn't have the bandwidth to be consumed by the challenges of her past. Here's how mom views those 100 days in rehab. Well, it's a chapter in my life, and I'm glad it's behind me. I don't plan to open that chapter anymore. Good. Hold on to that walker. We can't let you fall again. Oh, yeah. I'm with it all the time. I'm with it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I go everywhere with it, you know. As of this day, my mother is now back in her apartment in independent living. But we've put her on the waiting list for assisted living in the same building because now, after three surgeries, it's clear that she needs assistance and cannot live independently. But mom's spirits are good. I hear it in her voice. And it's absolutely incredible to me that at age 86, this wonderful woman, who I call my mother, is still the most inspirational person in my life. What's the hardest thing about your life right now, mom? Keeping my sanity. Right. And going on and not looking back too much. Mm-hmm. But you've got to look back in order to go forward. What's the best yeah. thing about your life right now? I'm stable. Mm-hmm. And I've got my, my kids that love me and take care of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are things, anchors that you could you know, go for. And you can't ask for much more. Things are working out well. Good. I don't have any complaints or any other, don't, darling. Good for you. I'm okay. looking at that marvelous picture of Daddy in the, uh, the big frame, you know? Mm-hmm. A handsome guy he was. Anyway, life goes on. Life's for the living, Helen. That's right. And we're living it up as much as we can with the tools that we are left with. We're still on the journey, and I want it to stay like that for a long time. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, because frankly, I don't think it can be said often enough. If, like me, you're lucky enough to still have a parent on this planet, give them a call even if you don't always get along with them, or you find yourself fighting old battles on occasion. Because chances are you've got a few more breaths of life left in you than they do, and it's the right thing to do. It's about aging well and wisely, and choosing positive emotions. Okay, darling, well, listen, thanks a lot for calling us cheerful. My pleasure. It was great to hear your voice. Yeah, and take care of yourself. You too, sweetie. Be careful always. 
You too. And, uh, you know, I love you very much. I love you too, Mom. Okay, darling. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about today's show. You can email me at Jana at AgeWise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at AgeWise.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast and download any episodes for free on iTunes. You can also listen to the podcast on Stitcher. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.